Welcome to the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast, sponsored by Tennis Express. Chris Otto here, bringing you forward on a Tennis Tuesday. And we've got a special guest on board, so we're going to get to it shortly. This man is a former world number six, 16 career titles, two French Open semifinals to his name. It's Jose Higueras. Currently the director of coaching at the USTA, a position he has held since 2008. I don't know if a lot of you know this, but when Garris took over the job, the U.S. Met had only one player aged 20 or younger in the top 200. Fast forward to 2016, and we've got six, many of which that we are very high on. So Garris has done a good job with a kind of clay-centric philosophy, earned opportunities, and a lot of work and a lot of frequent flyer miles getting the, all the coaches on board in the USTA. Uh, he's a former coach, of course, of Michael Chang, Jim Courier, among others. Roger Federer is another one. Uh, but he told me he wanted to take this job with the USTA so he can step out of his comfort zone and do something bigger for himself at the game. Really excited that we got the chance to catch up with Mr. Higueras, and uh, we'll get to the interview pronto. So how's everything going with you? Everything is fine. You're getting all slowly. No, slowly. That's as, the best way to as, do it. As slow as I can. <laughs> everything, everything is good. Excellent. Um, I, yeah. It's been a while since we talked. Um, are you still holding the same role as director of coaching? I am, yes. It's been since 2008, correct? Yes. Cool. Um, can you kind of catch us up a little bit on the progress that you've made and kind of what your role has uh, evolved into currently? Well, well, um, uh, basically, basically when, when we started, um, uh, eight years ago with, uh, with Patrick and the whole team, um, um, you know, what my, my job initially was, was going to be, uh, just to, um, to take care of our centers basically. And, and, uh, and, we, and our coaches, and then once mm-hmm. we started, once we started the job, and uh, you know, we decided to actually go a, 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 a little wider than that, and and uh, that's when uh, we started working with the help of, of uh, everybody, um, uh, putting together a, a teaching and coaching philosophy, just to have a little more uh, unanimity on on how we do things. Um, obviously, uh, obviously respecting everybody's uh, individuality, but yes just kind of try to create a culture where we all agree on the basic things and try to, uh, and try to bring, uh, you know, the country together uh, more and more. It was always uh, uh, some uh, animosity, you know, between USDA development and, and, the, uh, and the private sector. And I think that, that was one of our, of our main uh, objectives. Um, and that's when we started the uh, regional training centers. And uh, I spent quite a few years just, uh, Going around the country together with uh, together with our uh, department of uh, coaches education uh, led by uh, Paul Lovers, um, and then pretty much just trying to uh, trying to uh, create a, a structure, uh, which is not easy to do because the country is so is so big, um, to actually try to get get the, the tennis family uh, together or actually making the family uh, as big as, as we could. That, wow. That, 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 yeah. All right, Chris. Wow, that must have been a, a huge challenge for you and a little bit different. I mean, after your playing career, you coached 
so many players and were kind of maybe gotten comfortable with a one-on-one role with a lot of players you coach. I mean, you worked starting with Michael Chang and then all the way down the list, uh, Todd Martin, Carlos Moya, Sampras, uh, Guillermo Correa, Roger Federer. And uh, what was it? Was it a a role that took you time to kind of um, adjust to? And do you feel like you've kind of hit your stride in that position now? Yes. I mean, I think uh, it it was, uh, I mean, the reason I took the job, to be honest, I was working with with, uh, Roger at the time. Um, And the reason I took the job was because, uh, I mean, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, uh, Maybe, maybe a little romantic about things, but, uh, uh, you know, tennis has been, has been good to me. Very good to me and and my family. And, uh, and I saw the opportunity. I know it wasn't. It, it's not easy because every time you work within a, a federation, it's not easy. Um, right. But I thought uh, talking to Patrick and talking to the leadership of, of the uh, of the USDA, uh, I, I thought that uh, that it was a good opportunity to actually uh, at least try, at least try to uh, to to have an impact in in more than one or two players. Um, right. Uh, obviously, I didn't know at the time that. That that was gonna be the, the toughest job uh, that I actually took on, to be honest. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, and and uh, and it was uh, and, and it wasn't and it wasn't easy, especially uh, at the beginning, uh, because uh, once again with the uh, <clears throat> with uh, you know people being being skeptical in the history, you know, within with everybody and so on and so on. But right. uh, but slowly but surely, I can very happily say that. Um, that uh, we are at a point where where uh, the country is working more and more together. Uh, the, the relationship with the, with, the, with the coaches in general in the country is fantastic, um, and, and we feel that uh, that we we um, have helped um, just put put together a, 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 a big tennis family. And uh, and I, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to say that when I was uh, once I got into the job the first year or two. Yeah, and, and and we did go through through some challenges, but um, you know, once again, uh, you know, Patrick did a good job. Um, uh, I think just took over about a year and a half. He's doing a great job, also, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a great team. You know, with uh, with uh, with our certain conditioning people, with uh, Jay Berger, the director of men, and all our director of women, and so on and so yeah. on. So that's pretty much at a, at a grand scale uh, where. Uh, where I, where I have spent my time, and that's why I'm, I'm a, um, a uh, how do you call that, uh, an executive platinum uh, American right. Airlines, a frequent flyer. So I've been around, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I've been around the country uh, a lot of times. But anyway, that's good. Uh, that, at, a, at a big scale, that's pretty much what we have been doing. A lot of coaches' education. Actually, I just did one yesterday down here in Indian Wells with, a, with, a, with 15 coaches. Uh, and it's been great. Like I said, it's been it's been good. And when you started the program, or when you started in the job, and Patrick was at the helm, you guys really wanted to put a strong emphasis on getting young Americans to play on Claymore, and you did. And it seems to have been working. Can you talk about what that shift has meant, and like how is it? How has that evolved over the last eight years? Are are we at a way different place with our young kids and their development, and how much time they're getting on clay sir, and slower surfaces? Well, obviously, obviously, the, the clay is—I uh, think—is an important factor in the developing of uh, the young kids. 
and uh, and we did make an effort, uh, and, and not only about uh, the kids playing on clay, but also about playing on clay uh, outside of the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So we uh, we we um, we took them to a, we have been taking some kids to Spain, not for a long period of time, but for a few weeks, but also for our coaches. Yes, so yes, so yes, so we all kind of get the best of both worlds. Obviously, uh, in uh, in Europe, there, there are some things that that you do, that they do very well. There are some things that we do very well here. And we gotta we, we try to put both things together and make it and make it make it great. So 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 yes, we have increased that uh, actually with the new um, facility in Orlando. Uh, yeah. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have a uh, red clay, uh, eight, eight, um, I believe six or eight uh, red clay course, uh, which we didn't have before. It was so so yes, we, we make a point of that. We send the kids out of, out of the country to play more tournaments on clay. To train someone clay also, and not only for for the kids once again, but for the whole coaching staff, so we all got got better as coaches. You're listening to the Tennis Now Tennis podcast, sponsored by Tennis Express. We're interviewing USTA Director of Coaching Jose Higueras. It's cool, and uh, I I seen that recently you have begun to work with Francis Tiafo quite a bit. Are you in functioning in the role as his head coach? No, but, but basically, basically, um, I mean, you know, Francis, uh, Francis has a coach, um, one of our coaches, and I was just kind of supplementing some, some one dad. Um, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, basically, I'm kind of trying to try, try to help our coaches and our and our kids, uh, mm-hmm. but but uh, not only Francis, but but pretty much uh, pretty much our best uh, our prospects on the men's side and, and the women's side both. Mm-hmm. What what is your take been on not just Francis but some of the other young players on the men's side? Uh, a good year for Taylor Fritz. Gerald right. Donaldson had some <clears throat> nice had a, had a few nice results. And in general, it does seem like your plan is coming together where we have a lot of young players that are maybe 21 and below and all kind of knocking on the door of the top 100. And you've kind of fostered this competitive environment. Are you pleased with how things are shaping up? And do you see chances and opportunities with some of the top players getting older that we could have some Americans, you know, move up the ladder? Yes. I mean, I think, I think uh, we are on schedule. Uh, when, when we started this program, uh, we, we thought that it was a 10 to 15 year uh, program mm-hmm. and, and more, more than anything because of the size of the country. And not only, not only, a big, and we weren't working only with players, as I said, we, we, we took on a big endeavor of, of actually taking all around the country and, uh, and doing a lot more than just working with, uh, with, with some of the best kids. So, so after eight years, I think uh, we started to be in a pretty good situation. We had a very good situation with with the, with the girls, with the women. Besides um, mm-hmm. having a good, big, pretty good number of the top hundred, we have a lot of uh, a lot of girls coming up of, of different ages. On the boys' side, uh, we have a we have a good group of boys uh, coming up also. You know, with Francis and uh, and Riley Opelka and Taylor obviously mm. and Tommy Paul and Michael Morris. There is quite a few of them. And, but the main thing is that. That the that that everybody is started to be competitive, uh, which uh, which uh, we I don't think we we saw that in a while. So everybody's pushing each other. There is a there is a very good camaraderie, and uh, the, the toughest things for these kids uh, is, is now actually. Uh, it's a big jump from the juniors to the pros, and yeah. uh, obviously it's very competitive. And the next uh, 
you know, more than likely, it'll take them a couple of years to to get their bearings and and and, and see what's out there and 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 keep working. And uh, but I think um, I think we are in a pretty in a good place, to be honest. And um, but the whole the whole idea is uh, is to try to keep sustaining that to to have a to have a, a good enough structure that with the size of the country we can have players um, understanding that it, it it comes in cycles. But but don't have a, a 15 or 20 year gap like like right. we had uh, like, like we had here. But uh, but to answer your question, yes, I think uh, it's pretty exciting at this at this um, at this time. But at the same time, I think it's important to understand uh, that the the the, uh, the tougher job for the kids is still ahead, and I yeah. think it's something that we have to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the role of this new facility, which I have not visited yet in, in Lake Nona or in, is near Orlando, is going to be play for the young players? Is is it a is this a real significant development in your opinion? Well, I, I think I mean the name of the facility is the home of American tennis. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a fantastic facility with a state of the art everything you need. I mean, I always tell. Uh, I tell our coaches, and uh, I tell I'm pretty upset because uh, they should have done that uh, 30 years ago or 25 right. years ago. So I, I would have moved there. It's a dream come true. It's a dream come true for the coaches, uh, for the coaches and the uh, and the players. And the idea is, yes, uh, is not to centralize, not to centralize 100% everything there, but because we still have a center in uh, our center in Carson, and we still have a center in, uh, in on the East Coast. So, but the idea is to really give a chance to uh, to all uh, all players, uh, not only uh, you know college players. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a college division based there also. So the idea is to really to really embrace the whole uh, you know tennis community, starting from the um, starting from the uh, from the pro uh, the, from the pros down to uh, down to um, down to to community tennis basically. And uh, mm-hmm. and that, uh, but it's gonna be a fantastic place. I mean, I I think uh, actually I'm gonna go there in about in a couple of weeks, and uh, but it's gonna be a fantastic place. But it's yes, a great place for once again for everybody to go. We're gonna have some quite a few tournaments there, and yes, um, I mean I'm sure we have some international players coming through when they're on their way to somewhere. So it's gonna be a great atmosphere, great state of the art, certain conditioning, and, and so on and so on. So very very exciting. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. I wonder if you could step out of your role of, of um, yeah. you know, USTA a little bit and just kind of give me your thoughts on what we've seen in 2016. Um, Roger Federer obviously pulling the plug on the season with Rafael Nadal having some difficulties, hasn't really made a big enough impact at the majors. Uh, what do you, what, how do you think it shapes up for next year? Do you think Roger and Rafa can still play a significant role at, in, in the big events? Yeah. I mean, um, well, first of all, I think we have gotten pretty spoiled, uh, being so lucky, you know, we're having two two great champions like uh, like Roger and Rafa for so long. That would be my first thought, and very, uh, at least me as a tennis fan, I'm, I'm extremely appreciative of that, of having been lucky enough to to have lived in this era. Uh, in terms yeah. of, uh, but unfortunately, everything uh, everything uh, comes to an end, um, and I don't think the end is there yet for them. I think as long as uh, as long as they play, they are going to be competitive. Uh, Roger obviously is a little older than Rafa, um, and, uh, and and I don't know that they can sustain that regularity in terms of uh, of wins and performance as they have had in the past. 
But at the same time, uh, as long as Rafa uh, is playing, I know he thinks he can win everything, and I will mm -hmm. cut him out. And at the same time, with uh, Roger, even though he he um, he's gonna be what 30, 35 or thirty six next year. Um, yeah, he's already thirty five. You know, yeah, so I I think uh, I think uh, if he's healthy, uh, I don't think he's gonna forget how to play, and I think you can still play at that age. So. So I think he, he uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think uh, any of the guys would want to, would want to play him anyway, anyway. Right. Yeah, so sure. I think until, until they, until they both uh, retire, uh, I will not count them out. And uh, at the same time, I think it's, uh, I hope they can play for, for many more years. Mm -hmm. And do you get a sense that some of your young men are inspired by the fact that there is a new generation coming and there's opportunity? And we saw a 19 year old, Alexander Zverev win his first title yesterday, and we're seeing some nice moves by younger players. You, even Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo have been able to make some moves on the tour. Yes, I mean it's obvious if you're a young kid and you look at the at the top ten, you can see the age of of, of most of the top ten players. So it's yeah. definitely a, it's definitely a great opportunity for for I mean somebody's gonna take those spots. Uh, you know yeah. either. Either Francis or Taylor or Riley or Zverev or Kirigios or whoever it is or CM or whoever it is. So I, I yeah. think uh, I think those kids uh, their eyes are wide open, and uh, and I think obviously uh, in a couple of years there's a it's a big opportunity and, and, and the landscape of the top ten more than likely is going to change. We're talking with USTA Director of Coaching Jose Higueras on the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast sponsored by Tennis Express. Now, I, Jose, I always like to ask this question because you've been around the game for so long, and you had an incredible career in, in the uh, you know in the late seventies, early eighties. What, what is your take on how tennis has changed and, and what it's like, and what are some of the biggest differences you see between the pro game now and what it, what it was back in your day? But obviously, when you look at uh, when you watch some tapes from from you know way back, uh, you, you can see that the speed of the game is getting faster. Uh, in general, the athletes are, are better. Uh, I, I'm not, you know, when I say in general, I mean if you take the top, you know, 200 players from now and the top 200 players from 20 years ago, the yeah. top 200 players from now are a lot better. Um, so, so that's uh, obviously uh, it become more and more professional. So the depth is, is a lot better than, than it used to be. I think. Um, I think for a while the game kind of got a little, uh, a little, a little too one-dimensional from my taste. Um, mm -hmm. But but I think slowly it's coming back to a uh, to a more to a more all-core game. Even though because of the equipment and everything else, um, you know, going to the net uh, is not as, as as secure as it used to be. So you you have to go with a little more advantage and with a, with better shots, but. You can see that uh, people, you know, when using their backhand slices that much now, now you can see that everything, everybody's trying to play uh, more of a complete game because obviously um, makes you a better player and give you a better chance of winning matches. So, so uh, yeah, the physicality obviously has changed. Uh, in the old days, the first couple of rounds, you know, of a slam, were, most of the times weren't very taxing at all. Yeah. Uh, now, now if you play first round and you're not ready to play, you may be out. It doesn't matter who you are. So, um, and obviously technology has changed a lot. You know, the strings, especially, I think more yeah. than the rackets, uh, has really changed the game. Uh, so, but I think uh, we, I mean, I, 
I enjoy um, I enjoy watching uh, watching tennis. I mean, I, I think I think uh, the 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 has been equalized a little bit, where uh, right. where he's not he's not extremely slow or extremely fast. So it kind of gives everybody a chance to uh, a chance to play. Um, so I think the tennis is good. I mean, I think the last five, ten, ten years, uh, I think I've been I've watched some fantastic matches. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, back back in your playing days, who was the player that, in your opinion, was the the most impressive player you ever played against? Well, impressive is one thing, and 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 the guys that I have more trouble with. With I mean, <laughs> to me, one one of the greatest players that I've ever played against was was uh, was Johnny Mack. Mm. I, I I thought his uh, I thought his, uh, his his timing, vision of the game. Uh, I mean, he was always one step ahead of, of, of one one step or two ahead of you. So to yeah. me, to, to me, he was a fantastic player. I mean, he was one of the best, uh, one of the best talent uh, players that I've ever seen and I've ever played against. At the same time, you had a guy like Borg. Uh, Borg was a totally different player uh, with with uh, with different uh, strengths. You know, he was uh, he was an uh, absolutely great athlete. And a great competitor with a whole different style of game, uh, on the mm-hmm. way the way you play tennis, and obviously uh, you know you go, you can go down to uh, to to Connors. I mean, who, who can forget Jimmy, and, and and some of those guys. So, so but but once again, John John was always. Uh, I mean, if, if John was playing and I had a chance to watch him play, I would I, I never miss him. He enjoyed I, I, it. Yeah, he was a great. I, th- I thought he was a great tennis player. Did you get then, a chance to? Yeah. Did you get a chance to play him on clay, both on clay and on other surfaces? I, I did actually. I played him in a. I played him a, the year that he got to the finals of the French. Mm-hmm. I lost, 84? I lost to him in '84. I lost to him in the round 16, and uh, in four sets, a very close match. And then, uh, and then uh, I was a little disappointed because I thought I thought I, I had a, a decent chance of of, of beating him on clay. I, I, I really. Didn't have much of a chance of beating him on a on a hardcore or a, or yeah. indoors. Um, and then um, after that, I went home, and I'm watching the finals when he was playing Lendl, mm-hmm. and he, he he was playing unbelievable. And I thought uh, he was up two sets and a break in the third. And I thought, well, I guess I'm going to be the only guy that won, that, that got a set out of John uh, <laughs> after he won the French Open. And then we all know what happened, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that's crazy. But I think. But I think uh, those two and a half sets, I thought, uh, what I was telling you before. I mean, he played tennis. He played tennis with a with a with a little a little different IQ than than, than everybody else. Mm-hmm. A couple more questions, if you don't mind, sure. Jose. Um, no, no. A little bit more on the fun side as well. There's a little bit of a debate going on um, more recently, and it's kind of in the media mostly, but it's about best of three sets for men and best of five. And There are some people that think that the game is just too grueling and that the players are kind of getting their careers shortened by having to play so much tennis, and and it would be better off if they shortened the major tournaments to best of five with with the no tiebreaker in the third set. Do you have any opinion on that? You're talking about the uh, Grand Slams? Yes. I, some people are like, you know, starting. It's a quiet t- discussion in the media, but they think they'd, tennis yeah. would be better off for TV and for the uh, longevity of players' careers to shorten it. Any views? Um, uh, I, I guess I can have two views. 
If mm, I, if sure I, you can. If I, if I may, uh, I mean, I'm, in one side, I would kind of hate to see. Uh, the thing is, when you play three or five sets, uh, the best player wins most of the time. Yes. Uh, when you play two or three, uh, then then it's, it's more likely that, that that surprises may happen a lot more often. Um, so so when you play when you play a tournament like uh, when you play a Grand Slam tournament, um, I, I think it kind of goes with the game. To be honest, of being in absolutely uh, in absolute great shape. On having a, a game that you can actually uh, shut up points if you need to, uh, and it's uh, maybe a little more demanding on the player, not only physically but game-wise. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. That, that would be that, that would be one side. Uh, the other side is uh, the, the way the world is going. If you have it into account, as you say, um, that the, I mean the players are playing until until they are pretty old. Actually, I mean I, I don't know that the longevity. It plays a lot into, in, at least at this point, maybe in another five years it will. Mm-hmm. But you have most of the guys that are the best players are, are 30, 30 plus. Um, but, but understanding that the physicality with all these young kids coming up and, and maybe that will have an effect coming you know, in the next few years. The other thing is, uh, you know, TV. Uh, obviously, uh, obviously the, the economics are a big part of everything. And uh, sure. and that that may be more attractive uh, because sometimes uh, it, you get three or five matches and it become a little long unless you are a real tennis enthusiast. Uh, mm-hmm. So so I can kind of see both sides from a pure standpoint. I, I, I like to leave it the way it is. Uh, yeah. From from a reality standpoint, uh, then I'm not really sure because I'm not as well informed on some of the other subjects that, that I was just telling you about. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. I like that. And um, last question is about on-court coaching. Um, obviously, we see it on the women's side. It's kind of uh, controversial, a lot of different views on it. But I think I think most of us agree that it can be very entertaining. Um, what? And I've heard other people, other coaches and commentators that say that they should have it on the men's side. It would probably be a good opportunity for male coaches to get more exposure and kind of sort of kind of get themselves out there and sort of have have fans that are watching on television appreciate the role of a coach more but what is your take on having on court coaching for men and for women do you think it's been a good thing for the game um you know once again I'm going to have two answers and That's fine. Uh, and, and, and you can <laughs> and you can count on both because I I believe in both um, okay the, as an older person or an older player I believe in the in, in the independence of the player that, that's one of the things that I've always tried to install in anybody that I work with. So you gotta, you, so, so you go there and you are on your own, and I support you. And you have the information, so on and so on. But at the end of the day, you gotta resolve the problem. That's one, mm-hmm. that's one side of, of me being 63 years old. Okay. Now, um, if I have to, if I have to make a decision, actually, you may be surprised, but I will say yes. I will say it will, it will add to the game. I think. Uh, I'm not really too concerned about the um, about the exposure of, of the coaches. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm more concerned about uh, about making the game uh, more and more attractive. And uh, and I think uh, I think it will change matches. To be honest, I mean, I, I think I think there will be there will be matches that will be won or lost because because a coach has gone there and actually um, um, convinced the player to actually do X and X. So, right. so I think I, I think it would be good for the game, to be honest. I don't know if they if they 
if they're thinking about doing that or not, but I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. The the one thing that oh, I want to get your final question on this. The one thing that does concern me about it, from a sort of a, a, a tactical, strategical perspective, is that they always have to have the mic on. And then, what if you're talking about something important, like oh, let's beat down this person's backhand, and then they kind of get that information if they're watching at the time, then they sort of uh, get insight into your strategy. It seems like a, a difficult sacrifice or a trade to make. You get the ent entertainment of the mic'd uh, conversation, but then you also reveal a few secrets about your strategies. Well, I think that's a good point. And uh, once again, being 63 years old, I will not go on, on call if I, if I have a mic on. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly from what you said. Uh, right. and, I, and actually, you have that, uh, you see that in other sports. Uh, you see basketball, uh, that sometimes they mic the coach. But the coach is not Mike. When they mic the coach, the coach knows, and, and I'm pretty sure he knows what he's, what, what he's going to say sure. because of that of that occasion. So, so I think I I, I would agree with you. I mean, I don't think it, it would be uh, because basically, if uh, if, uh, if you coach somebody, you can wait until the player uh, until the other coach goes on call and kind of see what he says, and then you can go afterwards, you know, what I mean? or or whatever. So. So that's a little concern, uh, and, and I kind of feel a little awkward, to be honest, when I'm watching some of the matches and I see a, a coach putting the spot like that. Um, yeah. But that, uh, I, I will agree with you on that. But, but I think you can do it without um, having a, a, a microphone on. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, sure. I, I don't know why you couldn't do that. Yeah, so, I don't see why not. I don't see why yeah. not. Well, no. Wonderful. But, but, it, but it would be good. I think I, I, I will go for it, to be honest. I think it'd be okay. Um, yeah. I w you surprised me with that answer. Yeah, yeah, I would. Well, he's uh, Jose Higueras. He's the director of coaching for the USTA. Thanks, Jose, for coming on. I very much appreciate your time. I'd like to catch up again in the in the near future. And best of luck with everything. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Okay, good talking to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Special thanks to Jose Higueras for joining the podcast today. You've been listening to the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast, sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.